A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, I feel happy and alive. (laughs) (laughs) A true change of scene. (laughs) Your mental state? It's because it's sunny here. Also, because I got a bloody sad lamp and I honestly swear to you, it's changed my life. Um, yeah, I, I met someone really soon after I got here. An Australian who'd been in um, London for like 10 years. And she said, literally, all you need to do is get a sad lamp, a flu shot and take vitamin D. And I've done none of those things. <laughs> and then I wonder why I'm always depressed. Yeah. Yeah, so I got this Lumi sad lamp um, from, dare I say, Amazon, because it was going to come the fastest. I am literally sitting in a compound of Amazon Prime I know, boxes. it's so, it's so <laughs> I wish you but could it's bad because they're piled up on either side. Yeah, it's naughty. It's naughty, but it's even more naughty because people in Australia and New Zealand don't really get it because... It's just not, it's not easy to get in New Zealand at all, but literally here, it's so naughty. You can order something and it will be at your door the next day. And I know that's bad and I don't want to do it. But for things like most things in life, you just want it quickly. But with the sad lamp, I was like, I can't wait another day. This is life or death. And then I got this beautiful lamp delivered. Oh, this wine's really gross. And then I've um, used it for four days now and I feel so much better. I'm very happy to hear that. A simple mental health hack. For the listeners. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's so weird that it actually works. Yeah. I remember when my dad explained that um, seasonal, what is it? Seasonal adjustment. Affective depression? disorder? Yeah. Seasonal effect. Yeah. Um, that that was a, a thing that was really common in our family. And I was shocked that that was a real thing. Yeah. I know. Right. Um, also, you know, I'm shocked about, you know, I'm shocked as a real thing. What? 
this Freud. Yeah. Izzy's discovered Freud. <laughs> it's so Have you funny. guys heard of a little known person called Freud? <laughs> Let me fill you in. Let Izzy fill No, Izzy's got a um, book. Uh-oh, Izzy's got a book on hand. I've got a book open in front of me. But I honestly, I knew, it's one of those things where I knew nothing about Freud and I felt, you know when you know that you're supposed to know about something but you don't and you've just gotten too far down That's how I feel about the, the term um, postmodernism. Oh yeah. Like when I was in film school it was and everyone said, "Oh, it's postmodern." And then it just got too late for me to ask. <laughs> yeah. It's like that about postmodernism and neoliberalism and liberalism. I don't know and I, I was googling all these terms the other day, yeah. But um yeah, with Freud I was like too far gone. I'm just never going to really know what this is all about. But basically for anyone who's dumb like me, he yeah, um dumb. <laughs> yeah but <laughs> but it's funny because just before I was like I'm gonna take this book downstairs and then my boyfriend was like you can't go and tell people about this Freudian theory that everyone knows about I was like well if I don't know about it there'll be other people that don't know about it okay Mr. Yes. Know-it-all um so when Izzy this- told me she discovered it she <laughs> you were like have you heard about the and I was like everyone wanting to fuck their parents thing and you're like yes yes <laughs> I thought I wish I'd done it on the podcast, but I thought I was gonna like be filling you in on this crazy thing. Um, But basically, he is the guy who invented psychotherapy, which is obviously stemmed off into um, all the various different kinds of therapy that people get now. But back in the good old days, one of the theories he had, I'm trying to, I'm like flicking through, actually a really funny part of this book. Um, God, the book is The Ego and the Id, by the way, so people know which one you're referencing. Oh, okay. Because I was like, the ego and the ID, huh? (laughs) I still don't get it. I was taught it at school and I still don't really get the ego and the id. Oh, that's the bit I did get. Tell I you. didn't get any of this other stuff. But um, basically, there's one chapter that just is has cocaine. Um, Freud believed that cocaine was a cure for many mental and physical problems. In his 1884 paper on cocoa, <laughs> he talked about it. I was like, this is legendary. Um, Surely there was no... I just can't believe anyone that would assume cocaine would have any positive health benefits either physical or mental well you know one that they did find was its numbing ability so it's good for medical use in that sense because it numbs it like it, anesthetic use. yeah yeah um but he wrote all these articles recommending medical applications and inc- including its use as an antidepressant and he um did all these studies and none of them like literally none of them got the results he wanted but then he just kept mm. using coke because he was like well i like it um, <laughs> and then this is where it gets really crazy <laughs> well I still like it okay yeah the Oedipus complex which I've mm-hmm. never heard of but everyone else has is um so Oedipus is a like Greek play where a guy um accidentally fucks his mum right yeah so yep. it says in here the f- named after the famous Greek tragedy I think he kills his dad and fucks his mum and doesn't realise either one is his parent. Right, yeah. So he said, 
he used the Oedipus complex to point out how much he believed that people desire incest and must repress that desire. And then, yeah, basically he just thinks forever that people want to boost their parents, um, which I found really interesting. I haven't gone much further in the book. <laughs> thoughts. It's thoughts. <laughs> I'm joking. There's a good movie with... Uh, actually, I think my favorite guys in it, Viggo Mortensen oh and Michael Fassbender and Kira Knightley, and it's f- called A Dangerous Method. And Fassbender plays Freud, and then Kira Knightley plays his like mentally deranged, sexy patient. And he there's a scene where he spanks her with a paddle to like make her feel better. Oh my God. It's really good. Hey, what's the movie? I know, A Dangerous Method. Ooh. Okay, I'm going to watch it. I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, so from first dates to Freud, and then just to really... Wait, people missed our first dates discussion because we had to start recording again because my mic was being a menace. (laughs) Um, This is the true, like, highbrow, lowbrow mix. Yes. First dates and a cliff notes of the ego and the id. Yes. So, um, (laughs) yeah, we had to start recording again because we're trying to figure out why... The audio is always bad when we're both basically strapped to our chairs and don't move other than to pick up a wine glass. Um, so we just started recording again, but I was talking about how I've been watching First Dates and filling Grace in because you, for some reason, have never seen it. It's like the best British reality TV show that's been around for ages. And I used to watch it on the plane randomly because it's, it's always really... Um, really joyful. I started crying last night when I was watching it. Um and I was... Do people fall in love on it? Yeah, it's really cute. So at Christmas every year, they do a um, recap of the previous year's couples and get them back in. I think they get them back in for another dinner or something. Or they have like a party and um, they go through their loves. So I think they... What, what is it? They replay maybe couples who are still together and then get them in and they talk about their relationship since. It's really cute. Um, but they do such a good job of pairing people up. I was saying That's to you nice. that they do a far better job than these married at first sight experts who seem to muck up everything and end up getting everyone cheating together. Yeah, but married at first sight don't actually want people to fall in love because it would be boring. They want like borderline mentally ill people to have physical altercations and like fuck each other in the toilets. And <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. And the, they're um, playing the old series of Married at First Sight here at the moment, which is like two years old. So I've randomly seen it. Well, I remember and, um, from Married at First Sight is this one contestant that had aggressive like incel energy. And I always weirdly see him like fighting with Clementine Ford in the comments section on different things. Oh, is it Dean? <laughs> yeah, Dean. Yeah. He was mm-hmm. a naughty boy. There's another one of him in this current season that's playing in the UK. But I can't remember his name. So yeah, Freud and first dates. And then just to really um, cover all my bases, I have an actual, I mean, they're both good recommendations, but an actual recommendation that you will all love. If you haven't seen it yet, I finally, I keep dipping in and out, but I'm finally watching Call My Agent properly, which is been on Netflix for so long. It's I think it's in its fourth or fifth season just came out, but it's a French um drama and it's set in Paris and so there's obviously subtitles um and it's set in a talent agency so people who rep actors and actresses and celebrities 
Um, and it's really, really good. And it's really, really funny. It took me a while to figure out that it's funny because I was focusing on on reading. And then once you realize that it's a really funny show and you, you get into like the humorous spirit, then you're just, it's it's so good. I really want to watch it. I This is a xenophobic view of mine, but I've always assumed that the French don't do comedy well. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I guess... I just I see them as being comedies. too kind of chic mm. <laughs> to be funny. Yeah, but yeah, you you will love um, Call My Agent. Um, so I just watched Malcolm and Marie. Oh, yeah. The Netflix movie with Zendaya and John... Fuck, is it John David Washington? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And John David Washington. It's been getting pretty bad reviews. I know. I was kind of excited to watch it and then when it came out and it got all these bad reviews I just I just didn't watch it and then I was kind of like well I guess what did I think it was going to be if it was filmed in two weeks in a house in lockdown with just two people but then now you're saying it's not as bad as they're saying yeah I think yeah reviews are really hard because when we're going to talk about promising young women in a second and I think that Maybe the inverse for me happened there. The low expectations I had for Malcolm and Marie when I watched it, I just thought, oh, why does everyone hate this? I think that basically it's about a a couple. It's all shot in one house over one night and they've returned from his film premiere and he forgot to thank her in his speech. And that boils off this huge fight that goes all through the evening about all different things in their relationship. Um... And the guy who wrote and directed it, Sam Levinson, is a white guy who um, forgot to thank his wife in a speech a few years ago. That's naughty behavior. So naughty. And he got a negative review from the LA Times for that same movie. And in this movie, John David Washington goes on a rant about a LA Times reviewer. So I think what's happened is because of those similarities, all the reviewers think that Sam Levinson has just created a movie in which he can just rant about all his problems with the industry and pretend it's a film. Whereas I feel like he's being self-aware and self-referential because this male character that John David Washington plays just comes across as such a pretentious dick and his girlfriend keeps making fun of him. And to me, it's so obvious that the audience gets that, that it's this girl dealing with this aggravating guy that thinks he's a tortured artist. But maybe I'm giving it too much credit. It really captured to me what a couple having a massive fight is, which is just like building and then you go off and then you come back and then you love each other and then someone says something (laughs) wrong and then you fire up again, start yelling again and then someone says something way too far and then you just sit there and try to be noble and actually (laughs) wounded and then you just burst into the room three minutes later and are like, say something even worse. And it's really funny in parts, and they're amazing as actors. Yeah, what? So I, I didn't really like it. It wasn't brilliant, but I, I liked it. I read somewhere that a problem people had with it was that Sam Livingston, I haven't looked into this properly, is white, and was getting Zendaya and John David Washington to talk about heaps of racial things. But then I'm also like. Which is hard, because that was kind of the same thing with Soul. But Soul, I guess they weren't speaking about racial things. But it was written by white people with a black character. 
would what what did you think have you seen anything about that yeah he kind of goes on rants about how every filmmaker he's compared to is always other black filmmakers so Barry Jenkins or Spike Lee when what he does is really different to them and how white reviewers only have the range to reference things in this very limited scope and why are they the arbiters of what is good and not good culture when often they don't have the range that artists themselves have I didn't find any of it to be anything that's not kind of just normal things that we discuss like he didn't go he kind of he's complaining about the fact that he won't as a black uh, filmmaker would never be able to make any film without white reviewers viewing it as some sort of political statement about the state of black people instead of just taking it as a story about characters and viewing it in that way yeah right um which i don't feel is a particularly like controversial thing to be saying saying Mm. um but yeah I, i thought it was I don't know. I guess it's not a recommendation, but it is. I think people should watch it. Yeah, I'm, I I want to watch it now. You should promote movies like that. Yeah. After hearing from you, I can't believe Netflix Netflix bought it for like 20 million dollars off the trailer alone. And they shot it yeah, in wild. 2 weeks in quarantine. I'm like, there's a lot of money to be making. Yeah, that's crazy. It's shot really nicely. Mm. Um, yeah, like I said, I I find it really hard nowadays to separate my reaction from like internet hype, so I don't know what I would have thought if I saw nothing. Yeah, that's the thing. I was thinking that the other day. I um, I feel like I get swayed so much. I feel like I'm just so easily convinced of things and I hate it. But I get swayed so much about what I think about things. Like, even the other day, I watched Pretend It's a City, the Fran Leibowitz um, documentary in New York. And I was watching it and I was like, I know I'm supposed to really like this because... She's really cool and everyone else really likes it. But then I didn't like it that much. But then I just didn't say I didn't like it that much. And I kind of said I did like it (laughs) to whoever I was talking to. Yeah. And then I was like, and then I was reading something the other day and they were like, she just kind of annoys me how she is always really negative about things and then acts like she is this down and out artist in New York when she's really wealthy and blah, blah. And I was like, I think I really like her and I find her really smart, but that kind of annoyed me too. But then I can't, I can't get my own head around it because I'm too busy thinking that I like it because everyone else does or something. Yeah, and it's like... I can't separate how I feel. Yeah, and it's so tied now to um, how we present ourselves online, I guess, where it's it's like signposting or virtue signaling that you're cool and intellectual and interesting that you liked this thing that everyone is supposed to know like Mm. for example my other recommendation is this book fake accounts by lauren euler she's like a literary critic she's really really cool she's done some really good kind of negative reviews of like bad feminist and trick mirror and she's become semi-controversial for um doing that but i had this moment where i was like oh my god i need to instagram the book to just showcase that i know that this is cool to be reading right now (laughs) and then I (laughs) stopped myself because I just thought that's really aggravating but it's that thing that you're talking about where you just want to you just like and how we respond to things yeah you want to show people that you you're (laughs) yeah to speed I know and it's really hard to get out of that it's because then I feel as though I'm kind of like one foot in one foot out all the time where I kind of don't do that very much at all but then I'll randomly do it once every few months and then I'm like what's the point in that like it just you just look 
I don't know. Like, um, but there's also this pressure now to have a fully formed, dramatic opinion on everything. It's like I watched Malcolm and Marie, and I was just like, yeah, I didn't hate it, didn't love it, it was fine. I don't know, and I'm feeling pressure to like justify it and come up with a hot take why I loved it or something. Yeah, you were probably like that with Fran Lebowitz, where you just watched it and thought. This is okay. I don't really get what all the fuss is about. But your brain's like, well, I need to understand why I hated it and come up with some hot take about why it sucks instead of yeah, just exactly. feeling indifferent to it. Um, I actually, the other day, interviewed this designer. And I and I had try, I was trying for so long beforehand to find her Instagram because I was like, I just want to see what she looks like. I couldn't find her online like in all of the um in all of the pieces about the brand there were no photos of her even if she was being interviewed she was just she was just not online and I was like what is going on I must just be I just must just not be able to work the internet today because no one isn't online and then I finally found an interview which linked to her Instagram and then I clicked on it and the Instagram account was the page was had been deleted and I was like god what is happening and then when I talked to her on the phone I was like am I just unable to use the internet are you completely offline and she was like no I went completely offline I just hated the fact that um that social media became so much about what we've been talking about your identity but even just projecting something to other people whether it's like your boss or people you want to hire you or to friends or to whatever or like you said just showing that you're um in the know and culturally aware and which is again like good for our stupid careers um, and she was like, I just hated that. I hated that brands were now hiring people based on their Instagram followings. I hated that now fashion labels are um, are being made successful because they have a kind of celebrity designer. Even just all the massive celebrity, even all the massive fashion houses, how they just swap designers around. And it's like this huge piece of news. Who's the new designer at what brand? Because they've become celebrities. And she was like, I just didn't want any part of it. And I wanted to see if my brand could be successful without me. And she's like gorgeous and stylish and really, really cool. It just made me want to delete my Instagram. But then I was like, I'm never going to get work again if I do that. Yeah, it's. I think about it a lot as well. I don't really know what the answer is. <laughs> yeah, I do think we're kind of, I don't know, I was skimming an article today that I, that I wanted to read, but I didn't think we were going to be talking about this today. But I was skimming an article um, that was literally saying, are we just going to bring it up that was saying are we just going to evolve out of social media mm, i think we will which kind of yeah i'm already feeling that kind of way yeah it's because we it's because we literally are like i can't be bothered getting my head around tiktok and instagram feels old yeah yeah and yeah instagram feels um yeah it does it's starting to feel really outdated yeah and every you second guess everything you do it's like i'll put up i had a stack of books which were books that I had either read or was halfway through reading because that's the way I like organize my books when I'm reading stuff. And I was like, oh, this is so cute. And I took a photo of it. And then I look back and I'm like, oh, you just look like a wanker that's trying to showcase that you're a fucking asshole who reads or something. You know what I mean? It's like you can't do anything authentically. We've talked about this heaps before, but nothing is authentic. Everything is staged and organized to project something. So it comes to a point where you just think, is this all just a bit embarrassing? I know, I know. (laughs) I don't know. 
Anyway, let's quickly on that front. So Fake Accounts by Lauren Euler, this book, it's really, really good. It's been called the first successfully written novel about the internet in the sense that she writes, she's a person who works for a Vice-esque media company. She's online all day, every day. And the novel kind of takes place online. And in the past, it's been really hard to write about in like a non-cringe way. And the main character in the first few chapters discovers that her boyfriend of a year and a half is running a conspiracy theorist Instagram account. And it's set in the aftermath of the Trump election. Um, and then a bunch of stuff happens. But it's, it's really great and really smart. And I really, really liked it. And I really like Lauren Euler. I think I listened to a few interviews with her, including one on Monocle. And um, she just has like good sensible opinions about the world and i think you guys should all follow her (laughs) yeah you talked about her um you talked about her a couple of weeks ago and then i saw someone i was reading a newsletter um because i've just (laughs) discovered substack and have signed up to a thousand newsletters and it's my new favorite thing to do um and someone was recommending a bunch of authors to read and they recommended lauren euler and that it was like hyperlinked out and i clicked on it and started reading her article about trick mirror like what you said i found her criticism of trick mirror quite wordy like i didn't fully it took me a while down to get what she was saying but i liked what she said which was basically that trick mirror is that um if you haven't heard of it is a book of essays that came out was it last year or 2019 um by a new yorker really kind of well-known new yorker writer um and it was her first book and it went viral at the time and we both have a copy or you borrowed my copy which I borrowed actually off one of our listeners called Jess who sorry Jess I still have your book but um I didn't actually finish it because I I found her I find her writing really good but I didn't find it I don't know yeah I was the same where I think this is what Lauren Euler was getting at where she was saying that the lessons kind of are about Gia Tolentino kind of realizing things (laughs) Yeah. Whereas, you know, where she's like, why am I spending all this money on bar to look hot? I'm supposed to be a feminist or I don't want to get married because I'm not that kind of girl. And it's it, it didn't actually it was kind of the opposite of what these books are meant to be about, which is how your personal realizations t- can tell an audience something bigger about the world. It was almost about how Gia Tolentino took things happening in the world <laughs> and they made her realize things. Realizing about stuff. Which is like a really valid criticism, which I never would have thought of on my own. Gia Tolentino's essay about realising that bar was a waste of money just made me want to do bar. Yeah, same, actually. It was literally like, um, she goes, bar has taken off and become by far the most, like, the most popular um, exercise class of women, of millennial women. And it's because it gets results. Women do it because it makes them toned and um, flexible and all these things. She's like, but the Olsen so twins expensive. do it. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She was like, she was like, it's $35 a class, but people do it because it works. And I was like, oh my God, where do I go to a bar class? And, it, and she was trying to say not to do it because it's a waste of money. It I had know. the opposite effect on me. I think her criticisms are about broader cultural phenomenons that she's commenting on through these specific books that are being really celebrated. People mistake them as like takedowns of authors, whereas it's criticizing the way that we like respond to authors. Yeah, which I find is really interesting because that's such an interesting conversation is how people respond to the art 
shouldn't be the art's fault in a way. Yeah, and that's kind of what Malcolm and Marie, the guy, is doing where he's freaking out and the girlfriend Zendaya is being like, you make all of this money and have this amazing job getting to make a movie. If it gets criticized and ripped apart and whatever and it becomes about a bigger conversation than yourself, that's just what you're taking on as someone who has the privilege of making stuff. Yeah. Us about our podcast. (laughs) It always comes back to our negative reviews. (laughs) Our art. Okay. Shall we talk about Promising Young Woman? Yes. So Emerald Fennell's first uh, directorial debut, she played Camilla Parker Bowles on this season of The Crown. (coughs) Sorry. (coughs) I'm allergic to the mention of Camilla Parker Bowles. (laughs) Um played Camilla Parker Bowles on season four of The Crown, and she also directed season two of Killing Eve. So she took over from Phoebe Waller-Bridge um, and directed that. And then Promising Young Woman is her kind of director- directorial debut for a feature film. And it's been nominated for a bunch of awards. It stars Carrie Mulligan, and it's a film about a woman who um, is kind of uh, – has – PTSD and suffers from um, a lot of trauma over a sexual assault that happened in college. Um, and basically, basically to get revenge, she goes to bars at night and pretends to be super drunk until a quote unquote nice guy offers to help her out and take her home. Um, and every single time they end up taking her and she's like really, really wasted looking back to their apartment and trying to have sex with her when she's too drunk to consent and then she kind of pops out of her drunken state and says what the fuck are you doing it's really i find i found it i wasn't gonna watch it um because i thought it might be just a bit intense because i don't really watch films that have i just really don't like films that um show sexual assault i just find it icky um and i'm really glad i did because i found the way that they did it really brilliant so like for example they never show the rape scene which is really uncommon for films that depict sexual assault or that are in a similar genre to this kind of rape revenge movies they always seem to show drawn out rape scenes and it's kind of always from the view of the perpetrator um which just would be so re-triggering and it's so unnecessary so i love that that wasn't shown yeah, um, I felt the same. I was thinking about I Spit on Your Grave, which is that like 1970s, ex- I think there was a whole bunch of those rape revenge movies in the 1970s and they were so masculine and so hyper-stylized and it was almost like this kind of fantasy exploitation thing and it was really nice to watch something that was done really delicately and tastefully and obviously by a female director and writer I think it was really obvious in every single touch that it was touched on in a very smart nuanced way and all of the performances were great the story was great it takes this kind of crazy left-hand turn in the last act which was awful <laughs> but it was so unexpected and yeah I don't know I mean I, it's the same thing where that we talked about before where I feel like a killjoy trying to like nitpick it. Um, I did feel as if it was a movie that would have made a much bigger statement 
and was kind of, to me, obviously written in this post Me Too moment. It almost feels like it should have come out in 2018, 2019, and that it would have had a, a much bigger cultural impact if it happened then. I think its release has been delayed a few times due to COVID. And there's an element of the way the story is told and the kind of morality of the movie that feels a little bit simplistic and black and white, where it's like, every guy is bad. Everyone deserves a massive punishment. You know, she's got a friend who, uh, spoiler, jump forward. 30 seconds. She's got a, a friend played by Alison Brie who kind of belittled their friend who was assaulted. Um, and to teach her a lesson, she gets her really drunk and makes her think that someone raped her. Yeah. I've... And just doesn't respond to her calls for three months. Like the morality of it is very black and white and there's like not much nuance, which I, I think there's obviously room for in movies sometimes because it's just a movie and we understand what it's trying to say. Um, but I think when there's things like I May Destroy You, there was this amazing movie called The Assistant that came out last year, which was a horror movie with Julia Garner set in a Harvey Weinstein-esque office. And that was just very kind of nuanced and emotionally complicated. And I just think that this movie felt a little simplistic to me in that context. Mm. But it didn't mean I didn't really like it and think it was really well done. Yeah, I... um. I get what you mean. I found those scenes, the kind of those revenge scenes a bit off, but then I also quite liked um, that it doesn't try to depict her as being kind of a perfect Mm. person. I like that it's saying these these situations are nuanced, like what she's doing isn't great, but what they did was horrible. And then I also, I feel like as well, what you're saying is the the storyline in terms of because obviously it's called promising young woman because of the promising young man trope and kind of acting like um, promising young men deserve a second chance when they do things like sexually assault girls at college because, you know, they're a good student and you don't want to ruin their lives and it's just ignoring the fact that this young woman's life is ruined and she had no choice in it. And that's kind of um, a storyline we've heard for years, but I still think that I still think it's so important to even just have these really basic storylines on the screen for people to see, because I think literally just putting it that black and white and being like, okay, you say he's a promising young man, but what about this girl will make so many people be like, oh, it just kind of, like, kind of almost has to be that simple sometimes. Um, and I also like as well how it was, I felt like it was such a good depiction of trauma and how long lasting it is and how it was kind of as much a film about um, kind of like getting revenge over a sexual assault as it was about Carrie Mulligan losing her identity after this trauma and it's seven years later and she's still a shell of herself and I think that's not shown that much. Yeah, and how everyone around this event who wasn't the victim of it try so desperately to move on and keep their lives looking and feeling normal and how no one else wants to touch it or talk about it or reference it and just wants to well everyone just wants to forget yeah everyone just keeps wants to want everyone keeps wanting to move forward whereas if you're part of the trauma you're stuck in time kind of thing and there's almost something that's really smart about it where the way she behaves there's something kind of childish to her ideas about revenge and um yet morals and ethics it's almost like she's trapped in this state of feeling that you have when you're 21 or whatever you are 
and the world seems simple and black and white. I think it was really intelligently mm. done. I also think something that was really cool was how, to me, this was confirmed by the presence of Jennifer Coolidge. It felt kind of like a play on those naughties, raunchy rom-coms. Like it had kind of American Pie type energy does that make sense where it's kind of dirty jokes Mm. and it's quite polished how it's cut and there's lots of like loud thrumming pop music and even the guy who played the bachelor party guy's best friend who i think is a new girl he just looked like one of those guys that would be in one of those american pie type movies it's like yeah Mm -hmm. man it was all kind of hammed up in this hyper american way um, I don't fully understand what the purpose of that was. I might be missing it, but I thought that was kind of cool how they did that. It was almost like putting a spin on that genre. Yeah, or like the way you de- – or kind of challenging the way you depicted things back then maybe. I don't know. Yeah, because that was such a hyper-masculine frat boy kind of aesthetic. Mm. And it's kind of taking that and flipping it on its head. Yeah. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. One of the biggest things that's kind of been in the media about promising young women is this review by um, a variety, a journalist at Variety, um, who said that Carrie Mulligan was an odd choice for the role. I haven't actually looked into this. I think you've looked into this a lot more than me. But then all I saw was a lot of headlines afterwards saying that um, Carrie Mulligan had kind of hit back, saying that a reviewer said she wasn't hot enough to play the role. Yeah, so I think this is... I started by seeing Carrie Mulligan's interview. Um, Obviously, my first reaction was, oh my God, this disgusting, misogynistic reviewer. I can't believe anyone would say this in 2020. Um, She said in an interview with the New York Times that the themes of the movie were why the movie was necessary was obvious in the fact that a reviewer for Variety had accused her of not being hot enough to play the role. Um, But then when I read the review, he basically said that she was an odd choice for the role. He wondered if it had originally been written for Margot Robbie because she's a producer of the film. Um, And that the kind of aesthetic, which is very over-the-top makeup, colourful wigs... I think he was trying to get at that it was kind of Harley Quinn-esque, didn't kind of suit the aesthetic of Carrie Mulligan. Um, Maybe I'm giving him too charitable of a reading. I'm sure it's it's somewhere in the middle. He kind of said it looked like bad drag. Um, But I feel like wasn't that, as in, is he talking about the scenes when she's dressed up to go to the club? Like dressed, because that's kind of what she's, 
aiming for. She literally Googled on, she went on YouTube and looked up blowjob lips and tried to do blowjob lips. Yeah, but even the scenes in between where she's looking a bit lolita-y, where she's got like the little ribbons in her hair and the little pretty cute little dresses when she goes on dates with the boyfriend, it's like quite stylistically uh, okay, yeah. done. Um, yeah. I, I kind of understood, Carrie Mulligan is such a great actress and she is fantastic in this. Um, like her performance is uncritiquable. I think that to me, I can see, you're being nitpicky, but I can if you saw this movie removed from knowing who was cast in it in the lead and you saw it was like Bo Burnham, Alison Brie, Laverne Cox, Jennifer Coolidge, that it was this, you know, Toxic by Britney Spears is playing and Paris Hilton is playing and it's all poppy and pink and colourful and blah, 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 and there's these kind of poppy costumes and stuff. I think Carey Mulligan is one of the last people you would, that would come to mind to play this character. Yeah, see, I don't know all that... I don't know all that much about her. The only thing I remember seeing her in is The Great Gatsby. Yeah, she's like this beautiful uh, English rose kind of. Kind of like kind of like if Kira Knightley was cast in it. Yeah, it's like if well. Kira Knightley was cast in uh, as Harley Quinn. This. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, where all you'd this. just be like, oh, this this is a kind of odd, literally just a, just an odd choice. He says her performance was incredible, but she seems like a slightly odd choice for this role. Mm. And I feel like that's somewhat fair enough. So I thought I understand why Carrie Mulligan responded to it the way she did. I personally didn't have that interpretation of what he said. But the drama has been that Variety basically came out and said, we're so sorry that we published this. This journalist's comments were completely inappropriate. And now that's kind of opened him up to all of this criticism on Twitter. And now that's created its own form of controversy where a lot of journalists are basically saying, you know, if you remove the masthead, a, a, a journalist is really quite powerless in comparison to an A-list actor. Mm. The power balance comes from it being a publication versus a celebrity when both the celebrity and the publication are denouncing the one journalist, it becomes kind of a pile on. And at that point it feels like the publication is not following their own due diligence because if you were happy to publish it. (laughs) Yeah. You should stand beside behind your staff member, at least publicly. Yeah. Just maybe decide not to work with him again or something, but I just don't understand that thinking. Cause it would have gone through a whole lot of, um, sub-editors and editors for that to go live so to just be like it's his fault is kind of yeah kind of i'm curious as well what you think on that whole idea of is is a person's appearance completely off limits in the discussion of a role or is it just a woman's appearance and what are the barometers of that because it seems like it could get a little bit messy if you say you can never discuss whether a woman aesthetically fits a role or not without it being sexist i don't know yeah, I think um, I think in this case, I think in this case, if this guy had explained himself better, maybe it would have. I think I think honestly, it's him saying that it feels like it should have been written for Margot Robbie was maybe the one sentence he didn't need to include or something, because it's kind of then I don't know. It, it feels. 
Yeah, because Margot Robbie's only a couple of years younger than Carrie Mulligan. Like, it's not like something where she's he's saying some young hot actress should play her. Like, they're literally two or three years. No, but but I mean, but I mean, it's I feel like him saying another. I don't know. It feels a bit more taboo because he's comparing her to another woman, sort of. In that way, like if he hadn't said Margot Robbie's name mm-hmm. and had just said, oh, I thought she was a bit of an odd choice because I'm used to seeing her in these period dramas and now she's playing this vamped up girl dancing to Paris Hilton, then maybe that would make more, more sense. But then maybe just bringing in another really beautiful actress's name makes it feel a bit, I don't know, a bit weirder, but then... Mm. Um, but yeah I don't think you shouldn't I think yeah I don't know I think looks are kind of when do we comment on men's looks with roles do we yeah I mean I just try to think about it in the inverse where it's like say Leonardo DiCaprio produced something and Bradley Cooper was the lead and a reviewer said I wonder if they'd originally written this for Leo because Bradley Cooper felt like a bit of an odd choice for this role because the person's meant to be slutty i don't know it's suave and dapper and yeah something and and bradley cooper doesn't really pull it off i just i don't think that bradley cooper would take that as an assumption that he was not as hot as leo and that it was you know what i mean i but obviously women in hollywood are like mercilessly compared to each other so you can understand why there'd be like a sensitivity to that yeah um I don't know. It's like how we were making fun of how the mum in uh, Pieces of a Woman was like literally 90 years old for no, like, (laughs) and to me, if you're following those lines of argument, you can't say Ellen Burnson is too old to play the mother of a 28 year old woman because it's sexist. Whereas I'm like, that's just a gaping, like, yeah, (laughs) logical discrepancy in the movie. Yeah. It pulls you out of the fantasy. Obviously that's not what happened with Carrie Mulligan, but. I don't know. I'm like, if critics can't critique these things, then what is their role? If like every time an actor or director gets upset with their criticism, the publication issues an apology. Why even have them in the first place? Yeah, I think I think that's the thing. I think every I think basically this whole thing got blown really out of proportion. I think they Variety should not have issued an apology and should have just stood by their writer because it's also their fault for publishing it in the first place. I don't think he shouldn't have been able to say that. Yeah, I don't think he shouldn't have. I don't. I think he. I think it, he should be able to say that for sure. But then also, how Carrie Mulligan interprets it and what she says about it is also fine for her to say. Remember when? Um, mm. Remember when Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon did that interview with. <laughs> Hadley yeah. Freeman and um she then in her like review of they they were with they were um it was a guardian piece on the morning show and that's why the interview was happening and then in part of Hadley's review she said that when she started asking hard questions Jennifer Aniston and Reese with the spoons entire personas changed they'd come in kind of complimenting her on her clothes and acting like they were all friends and being really friendly and chummy. And the minute Hadley was asking um, hard-hitting questions, albeit questions that were about sexual assault, 
and kind of uh, quite intense topics because that's what the morning show's about. But also, I feel like she went a bit over the line. Jen and Reese changed how they were acting, and then Hadley wrote that all in the Guardian piece, and then Reese went and slammed her in a Vanity Fair piece on the cover. And I think it's like that's all valid because if Hadley's going to write about something, then Reese should be able to say this is what happened. Yeah, exactly. Hadley Freeman is powerful because she's a Guardian columnist. Reese Witherspoon is powerful because she's Reese Witherspoon. They should be able to have it out in the media. The problem would become if the Guardian then said, we completely denounce Hadley Freeman's article. We're yeah. so sorry, Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Everyone would be like, what the fuck? Because now Hadley Freeman, who's just a private citizen, is being yeah. wrecked by two yeah. people at once. So yeah, I agree. I don't I don't disagree with Carrie Mulligan's interpretation and I don't really want to stand by this film critic. I just think it's bizarre now that people are so scared of like backlash Yeah, online. that's the thing. It's literally... They'll double down on like basic journalistic yeah. principles. They're just scared of being cancelled. So they're... It's basically Variety's fault. It's not either of the other two's. Um, but yeah. one thing I did kind of... Agree. ...find funny about his piece was how he said that she's always dressed to the nines and femme fatale about and kind of in reference to why she didn't suit the part which is odd because she's wearing a really gross suit in the opening scene and Mm. doesn't look dressed to the nines and doesn't look femme fatale like a lot of the time she looks like a regular Mm -hmm. really really wasted woman so it's not like like the whole point of it is saying that anyone that it can happen to any woman so kind of saying that she's an odd choice for the role it's like any uh, yes. any woman could be like wasted yeah. at the club and be picked up. Yeah, that's fair enough. If you put it in that context, but I but I get what you mean by like the other. No, I agree with you on that. Actually, he's kind of being like she needs to be the sexy seductress, and is she a sexy seductress? Maybe not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> anyway, love it. Everyone should watch Promising Young Woman, and everyone should pay to watch it because then everyone's going to give Emerald Fennell and other amazing writer-directors more money to make more movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, it's really it's really great. And, um, I, yeah, I just, like, loved the way. I was just like, why can't all movies that include sexual assault or have themes of sexual assault be done in such a nuance – in such a – not nuance, but such a um, kind of tender way where you don't have to worry – you don't have to be on the edge of your seat worrying that you're about to see a horrific, like, rape scene. Totally. And I also think that my criticism of it has more to do with how backward Hollywood's... um, It's like our criticism of The Happiest Season, how we're like, oh, the LGBTQ conversation has moved so far beyond this. But in Hollywood, it hasn't. In Hollywood, it's like at the starting line still. Mm. That's kind of how I feel with this movie, where it's like, in terms of the conversations we're having in our certain bubble about sexual assault it feels miles beyond what this film is discussing but it's groundbreaking for hollywood because there's zilch conversation in the films that we watch yeah so it's the criticism isn't at emerald Fennell as much as it is at hollywood for being so backward Segway, they used britney spears's toxic in a really cool like instrumental version in um a key scene and I feel like that was intentional. They also did Stars Are Blind by Paris Hilton because they're obviously commenting on how 
those two women were treated by the media. And we've had this Britney Spears doc. Yeah, so the New York Times did a documentary on the Free Britney movement, which was released um, on Hulu last week, I think it was. I watched, I could not wait to watch it. Watched it illegally, because I was like, I'm not going to pay to exploit Britney more. <laughs> New York Times, just release it for free. We give the people, if you really care about her cause, stop making money off the girl everyone's making money off. That's so true. That's so yeah. true. I know. I was like, funny how the New York Times are just having all of their journalists in this um, piece that they're obviously, in this documentary that they're obviously making millions off about Britney's struggle. I was going to say, it did have like spawn con for New York Times I know, energy I know. to it. I was like, oh, another inexplicable inclusion <laughs> of a New York Times journalist for no reason. I know. Um, <laughs> and then them selling it for millions of dollars off. Yeah, I don't know made me feel a bit funny that is a bit naughty. bit naughty just release it for free you dirt bags if you really want to help the move the free britney movement eat the rich yeah <laughs> i'm gonna buy an aoc t-shirt what did you think um i guess because we did that deep dive on the conservatorship um six or seven months ago nothing surprised me that much um i was i guess just like everyone else was just appalled at the early clips about how Britney was treated by talk show hosts and interviewers and the print media when she was younger I kind of knew it was bad but to watch it all cut together in that way was like very disturbing yeah and we were super young at the time so we were just ingesting that like that's obviously informed our all this fucking mental shit we've had to undo in terms of our views on ourselves and sex and women and all those Mm -hmm. things yeah, we that was out the culture we were consuming. It's awful. and Brittany handled herself so well. She's getting, she, you know, she's getting told by a journalist on live TV or on TV that um, some mayor's mayor's wife wants to kill her, and she's just like, "Oh, that's horrible." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, yeah, that's she's horrible." Like the adult in the room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then when someone brings up her um, boobs on TV, and she's just like, "What?" Oh, yuck. That was like a 50-year-old Australian 60 Minutes type guy. Yeah, I was like, let's talk about the elephant in the room, your boobs. I was like, do you want to get the death penalty? Like, yeah, I'm for, literally going to mob as, kill you. For, for once as well, Matt Lauer didn't come off the worst on screen. <laughs> she has an interview with Matt Lauer and he doesn't say anything dodge. I was like, God. Surprising. Surprising. Um, what did you Yeah, think? it was really hard to watch back. I didn't know. I mean, it was interesting i think watching i thought they were going to go into more depth about the justin timberlake thing but i think it was interesting to watch the justin timberlake relationship break down back again because obviously crimea river was a huge cultural moment for us when that came out i remember thinking i remember thinking oh my god britney spears is horrible she's broken justin timberlake's heart she's ruined this perfect relationship that we were all betting on when honestly I would put money on the fact that he cheated on her and was probably a lot more to do with the breakup than she was but the way that he like weaponized that to make money and to make himself Mm. out to look like the good guy and just threw her under the bus and then went on radio and talked about having sex with her I'm like you fucking dirtbag yeah that was revolting I mean I I am I 
I, it would really be an amazing thing if he came out and issued an apology and discussed the me- like the machinations of the system at the time because you get this sense in this documentary and I have felt like this for a long time about how child stars are treated, that they are victims and pawns who are being used mm. in this game. And my feeling, my gut feeling is that Justin Timberlake was being pushed and used in the same way that Britney Spears was being pushed and used by these behind the scenes figures. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. He, he was a did, kid. He was a kid as well. Yeah. He, he, he was a kid himself. Like he, I'm sure he didn't mastermind this like misogynistic thing, but he has obviously benefited from it. So I think it would be a very meaningful step for him to come out and make a statement about how he at the time didn't realize a lot of these things he was very young and now reflecting upon his behavior yada 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 um if he doesn't do that it will be quite disappointing because it's so easy to do yeah i bet he won't it's frustrating what about oh his... he only released that statement i did not bless my co-star because he... <laughs> <laughs> jessica bell held a gun to his head he would never do that. He definitely did Boss's co-star. Yeah, that was really interesting. Um, I'm interested. I'm really interested. I've been rereading Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov recently. And I'm really interested because Lolita came up a few times in the documentary. D- did we talk about this before? Sorry if we have. No, but. I talked about the yeah, podcast, we, right? No, yeah. You, you told me about it on the pod. Yeah. So everyone should be across it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so they, they, I reread the book because of this podcast that came out about Lolita. And the whole book is basically about a pedophile who turns this 12-year-old girl called Dolores Hayes into this character called Lolita to justify abusing her. And he kind of comes up with this narrative of her being, um, he calls it a nymphette, and it's like half woman, half girl, who looks like a girl and acts quite innocent, but then also has these like womanly seductive sexual powers alongside being very girlish. And as you watch Britney Spears, that's like exactly, it's so creepy to watch because that's exactly how she was molded in the public eye. Mm. Like there's literally the song. I'm not a girl. I'm a girl, not yet a woman. No, I'm not a girl, not yet a woman. So like, yeah, yeah, not a girl, not yet a woman. She was molded as this weird girl woman who was innocent and virginal and non-sexual, but then also sexy and seductive and, um, yeah, like vampish and womanly. And everyone was trying to like enjoy and make sense of that combination of those two things. And it's like literally pedophilic behavior. Yeah. <laughs> Our culture became the antagonist of the Lolita book by turning this child into this girl woman that we then like ingested as if she was this sexual creature when she was actually a kid and then punished her when she grew up into a actual woman which is exactly what happens in the later like as soon as she gets old enough he's like disgusted by her and I feel like that's exactly what our culture did with her and does with fucking female stars all the time I know I um I I just want to know what <laughs> I just want to know I just want to know what's happening with this conservatorship because I think even the people so even her biggest fans on this documentary were saying um you know we think we know that she's in trouble but then you know her dad will speak out and say no no I care for Brittany everything's fine I'm looking after her. and suddenly you think okay well there's things we don't know maybe she's fine maybe we're just overreacting and then you're like no 
this can't all be a coincidence. She well, she's she's literally trying to get him off. So she she actually is legally trying to get him off her conservatorship. So she obviously doesn't want him on there. So she must appreciate the public support. But I was just thinking the other day, I was like, God, this is like a literal thing happening right in front of our eyes where someone is potentially, it really looks like being a young woman is being like scammed for all her money and held captive and there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah, it's so hard to tell. This is the problem with Britney Spears' Instagram, which is such a cultural phenomenon, is because to me, I can see basically she applied to get her conservatorship ended and a judge ruled against it between all of this stuff kicking off in July and this documentary coming out. And to me personally, if I was a judge and I saw her Instagram feed, that would be quite compelling evidence enough that this is maybe not someone who's like mentally stable enough to look after their own situation. But then I feel like she's been driven (laughs) to acting the way she does on Instagram by the fact she's been trapped in her house for 12 years. So this is why it's this horrible chicken or the egg thing (laughs) where... But also, you don't even, we don't actually know, we don't know for sure that Britney has control of her own Instagram. We don't know for sure that this is very conspiracy theorist again. I love how I get really cueing on when it comes to Britney Spears and, um, what was the other thing? Oh, Princess Diana. The Royals killing Princess Diana. <laughs> um, but we honestly don't know that she's not being drugged or... Like, we have no idea what's going on. And it's that sounds crazy, but it's not that crazy when someone's worth that much money. Yeah, because I was even thinking she, her, the lawyer, the, not her dad, the other guy that was involved in the conservatorship, her lawyer was applying for a pay rise of 1.5% of her earnings as a conservator. And I was like, oh, 1.5 isn't that much. But then I was like, 1.5% on 60 million is 600,000 US dollars. Like, that's... Not money to sniff at. Yeah, in a year. Like, that's some serious cash. This is why the conservatorship is fucked, because surely having a vested financial interest in this person working like a dog is the opposite of what the actual setup is supposed to be about. Yeah, it's supposed to be helping someone's mental health. And within, like, a month of her dad getting signed on as conservator and making money as a person and her finances, she's chucked on stage. And then doing a Las Vegas residency when she's on stage almost every day. I was like, how can a judge say that this woman is unfit to look after herself when she's working mm-hmm. every day? It makes mm-hmm. no sense. If you're that mentally unwell, you would not be able to get up on stage every single night and publicly perform. Yeah, I know. It's it's really, really disturbing. And I think, yeah, this is... And what I find really difficult, I'm interested in your view on this, is that I find us analyzing and obsessing over her Instagram account as being its kind of own form of the tabloid culture that was, like, harassing her in the noughties, where... Everyone is just, again, obsessing over Britney Spears and talking about Britney Spears and pulling apart everything she does and looking at it. And I get that it's under the... It's not even the guys, because people are genuinely concerned. But I just want people to, like, leave her alone. But it also seems like we need this public interest 
in order to help her out of a bad situation. But we don't know if it's actually a bad situation. Like, it's, it's, it's complicated. There's obviously a lot of stuff we don't know. Yeah. I think that's... Um, yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. But I think that um, the fact that it's been going on for so long and I think we did forget or we did just kind of leave her... I feel guilty that it's been this long and now people are finally realising that something's up. And, like, I think... Instagram aside, she's showing that something is up by apparently refusing to work, uh, applying to try and get her dad off it, and then her boyfriend as well, this random Sam guy who is just his own kind of confusion. He deserves his own documentary into, like, who the fuck is Sam? But he put up an um, Instagram story yesterday saying that Britney's dad is a dick and that anyone trying to control their lives he doesn't like. So... If the situation was fine, he obviously wouldn't do that. Also, Courtney Love. Courtney Love said last year in December that um, she was almost put under a a similar conservatorship as Britney. Um, And, yeah, so the the person, Lou Taylor, who planned the conservatorship for Britney with her dad tried to put Courtney Love into a conservatorship too, but she got out of it. She said... um, I was successful at blocking Lou. That's just because I chant a lot, which makes me lucky. I just looked into Britney's account. There's no point in sticking my neck out for her now. Her pack of wolves almost killed me and my only child. She said that she's tried to speak to attorneys to get help for Britney, um, but no one would take her case. And Courtney Love said she knows more about Britney's case than almost anywhere there is and believes the situation is one of the worst things she's ever seen. She added, I've tried to lobby attorneys for a year with a glimmer of humanity to take on Britney's situation and they always pussy out and frankly, I'm done with it. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen done to another woman and trust me, I've seen it all. So, and also because the other thing that the documentary um, kind of revealed that I didn't realise was that Britney's own lawyers are obviously getting paid through her being under a conservatorship because they were appointed to her. She couldn't pick her own lawyer. So it's like everyone's making money off her. So no one has a real, a real probable best, vested interest in getting her out of it. And her getting out of it. Um, just quickly, Courtney Love is a fucking badass. Just the more I find out about her, the more obsessed with her I am. I just love her. I think she's like one of the most like wrongly maligned. Yeah. Yeah. Legends. You, you listen to that You're Wrong About podcast on her, right? I haven't done that yet, but I want to. Yes. Oh my God. She's so like... I know I said this in the podcast already, but it's like everyone has accused her of taking Kurt Cobain's talent and that's the only reason that she's released good music when actually she co-wrote some of Nirvana's most famous songs Mm. and doesn't have credit for it. She's like a really talented musician and she's a fucking... I just hate everyone. I was watching videos with her this week for some reason. And there's a thing of her going on Barbara Walters, I think. And it reminded me so much of those Britney Spears interviews where Barbara Walters is like, are you on heroin? And she's like, Jesus, Barbara, like, what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you? Like she like laughs and says that. She's like, God. she's like, what? And she's like, everyone wants to know. Everyone wants to know. Like, are you a slut? Are you Barbara? Are you a bad mother? Are you a bad mother? And she's like, Barbara, like fucking chill out. I'm a good mother. And it's like, she's literally this widow who's the love of her life had died. Yeah, so horrible. She had the worst mistreatment. And she did that amazing... Do you remember she did years and years and years ago? She's one of the only ones who did. 
she was interviewed on the red carpet and they were like, any advice for young women? And she was like, yeah, don't go to fucking Harvey Weinstein's house yeah. when he asks you. Yes. <laughs> love Courtney Love. We need to get her on the pod, even though she'll be really, love even Courtney though she'll love. be really scary and won't like us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Um, okay. Some conspiracy theories about Britney's Instagram account. My favorite one so far is that her weird dancing videos are being filmed through a two-way mirror and being put on Instagram without her knowledge, which when you hear it and look at them, you're like, oh my God, this, this might be true. <laughs> because she doesn't, she, when she does those dancing videos, she doesn't look like she's filming. She doesn't look like she's aware she's filming. She looks so... No, she's not looking to the camera. She just looks like she's dancing around in her house. Yeah, and, and she would look at herself through a mirror. So she'd be looking at... She could, they could place the camera. That seems crazy, though. But everything seems insane about this. Like, even in the um, New York Times documentary, they didn't go into full detail about how um, she was supposed to go on stage for that Vegas thing, and then she didn't. And then literally, like, the next week she was checked into a one-star LA mental institution for a month without her, like, what is it? Involuntarily. Because she was naughty. I was like, that's bloody evidence enough. It actually stresses me out when I think about it too much. Um, I know, but I loved those girls, the two girls who started the Free Britney podcast in 2006. Was it 2016 or 2000, like... It was ages ago to decode her Instagrams. I was like, you guys were ahead of the curve. I love them too. And they ended up in a New York Times documentary and they had kind of had the energy of being like, wow. wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. They've become the um, key faces of the free Britney movement. Um, yeah, I wonder what's going to happen. I mean, it does feel like, you know what's interesting actually? This is like a bit of a cynical uh, take on it but it's interesting to me how if she does get free from this she'll go about telling her story mm. because the kind of sit down with the talk show host format is like so out the window I guess it will be her own documentary like that Taylor Swift one yeah and the Paris Hilton one and the Paris Hilton one and the Billie Eilish is doing one Ariana Grande is doing one everyone's doing a we should do one PR documentary <laughs> we're doing one <laughs> Netflix bought it for $20 million, to like, no coming to read. Us fighting, us fighting about who's editing the podcast this week. Netflix. <laughs> Screaming at each other. Okay, good episode. The sad lamp's really done wonders. I had the sad lamp on right before we recorded. Did you just, like, beam it into your head like a um, tanning salon? Yeah. <laughs> to get you feeling uh, happy. Better than Saint-Tropez. There's not much that's better than Saint-Tropez. Yeah, agreed. Better than a good slapping on of Saint-Tropez. Um, what would you do if I was like started posting erratic dancing videos? Would you just let me live my life or would you try and stop me? Um, <laughs> I'd put you under conservatorship and take all the podcast money. <laughs> I'd be like, this is proof she's not fit. I'd get Zach to install cameras. You probably do erratically dance around your house. We just need the cameras in. That's what I mean. I'm like, if we were all put under this telescopic lens. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, yeah. You just have to watch me trying to do these YouTube workouts in the morning and I'd be under conservatorship <laughs> in a jiffy. 
that's really funny. Um, okay, everyone, thank you for listening. Love you lots. Bye. I want to say something Rate, more. review, and subscribe. Sorry. <laughs> Rate, rev- I- Rate, and review, and subscribe. Um, watch the Britney documentary. Read Freud. Watch First Dates. Read Lauren Euler. Get a sad lamp. Yeah, that's your homework for the week. <laughs> See you on Bye. Saturday. Saturday. Actually, can you guys let us know how you're feeling about the Saturday? I mean, we're probably not going to change Release. it, but just... If you're liking it, let it's us. It's really know. good for our. <laughs> yeah, it's better for our mental health for it to come out on a Saturday. But I assume it's probably not as good for the listeners because people like listening. I mean, yeah, because people are commuting in Australia and New Zealand now. Obviously, here in England, it doesn't matter when it's released because we're not doing anything. Yeah. Um, but tell us because if it is really annoying, we can figure something out. It's just um, also after work drinks should be. Not during work. Yeah. So it should really come out on a Friday night. It should come out on a Friday night, but but no one's out on a Friday night. Yeah. 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 I think it's a good, good, like, hungover listen. Like, I imagine that you'd listen to it while, like, having a walk on Saturday morning, getting, like, a coffee or something. Yeah. That's um, It's up to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's not a rule. Yeah. Please also let us know anything you want us to cover. Because we get some good DMs for yeah, we get for topics and recommendations, and we love them all. But instead, I'm just going to watch first dates. What am I going to watch? Call my agent. Yeah, I watch Call My Agent. Bye. Bye. <laughs>